0: folks. This is Trust in the Process. My name is Travis Fritz. This is a podcast uh, that I'm doing in order to have an opportunity to talk to brewers about brewing, where they've been, where brewing's been, where it's headed maybe, um, and other interesting topics that I find appealing. So here, here goes with Josh Rake. Josh, it has been a while since you and I have talked even like this Um, but I know that you've been doing super interesting stuff and I'm really excited that you came on today.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you, man. I'm, I'm super excited to have a chance to chat with you. So born and raised in Muskegon, right? Uh,
0: parents, parents, I know at least your dad was pretty firmly entrenched in the community. He worked as a, was he a fire
1: chief or he worked for the fire department, yeah? he worked for the fire department for his entire career and as a matter of fact just recently retired yep oh and then my mom owns a small business here in town as well a daycare center and she's run that you know for the last 20 years or so so you know we've got rakes all around this town you know
0: (laughs) yeah i think it's not uh i don't think it's too much to say that firefighting and daycare are both pretty community oriented first right definitely means a lot of people know your parents and, you know, therefore know you and kind of you You develop a family name around the town. Like Muskegon, what – I mean, I know this sounds like a weird question, but because I just watched this documentary that we talked about before the show, what year were you born in? I was born in 1992. 1992. Okay. Yep. Okay, so, so that puts in a little context for me. So – Yep. At that time, like, Muskegon was – finding its footing is probably a generous way to say it,
1: I guess. I, yeah, I would say definitely that'd be the the, be- the nicest way to put it. You know? <laughs> and, and finding its footing for, you know, a good 20 years since then. And, and still, you know. But, yeah,
0: I mean, I think in the last 15 years or or maybe even a little bit more, it's unarguable that it's it really is finding its footing, right? And, and becoming sure. whatever it's going to be. Yep. Um, but in the, like, 80s, 90s, I know it was kind of like the mall and the beach. And, mm. like, that was kind of it. <laughs>
1: Right. That was it. Yeah, you know they demolished. <laughs> they demolished a lot of the old historic buildings downtown. Muskegon has a huge history and uh, right. had a lot of really cool historic buildings, and uh, they demolished a lot of them for that mall. Which, uh, as malls do, eventually went out of business, and then that mall itself was eventually demolished, and led right. to downtown Muskegon being a huge sand pit. You know. <laughs> okay. It's right. unfortunate. Yeah.
0: So I've been, uh, like I said, I watched that documentary. I did some reading last night, and I mean. Right. I know what I want to talk to you about, but I just kind of I know how important Muskegon is to you, particularly with your new brewery. It's not even really new anymore, but with your brewery and um, and so I wanted to get a little perspective. And one of the things that came up, like, let's say, you know, people that were focusing on kind of the history from maybe the 70s until now. One of the things that came up was, you know, there were all these buildings and it was cool. because It was kind of like this logging port for a while. Um, and so there was money there and there were these cool buildings and all that so that got demolished as you said the mall went up but one of the things that came up all the time was parking lots they were like man they just tore down buildings and it was all parking (laughs) for sure yeah and and like there's snow fencing up because the sand is blown around these empty parking lots in the city and it's just like (laughs) what
1: is gonna happen right yeah a little like post-apocalyptic there yeah
0: right so what did happen eventually, right? And I'm gonna say, this is from what I read like around two, maybe early 2000s, like 2003 or whatever. Uh, a couple, you know, entities, sort of corporate entities and, 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 and individuals started putting money back into that area where the mall was and surrounding areas, uh, focusing on culture. And it's interesting to me to think about, and we'll talk about beer here in a minute, but it's interesting. <laughs> It's interesting for me to think about how, um, you know, one of the things I read was essentially Sears, Sears Roebuck pulling out of the mall. Yep. Was what sort of precipitated all of this, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know if it was a conscious response from folks there or like a, maybe a subconscious just reaction or whatever. But when I go to Muskegon now, it's not at all about, you know, some corporate entity from somewhere else is driving money into Muskegon. It really I mean it feels like it's largely a bunch of people from there saying, you know, let's not wait around for someone else to save us here. Let's kind of let's save ourselves and, and sort of develop this into something that is as unique and interesting as the geographic placement of Muskegon and its history and the and the people that live there. And I know that sounds a little overblown,
1: but I it's fascinating to me. No, I, I I totally I totally agree, and I I think that you hit the nail really on the head with that. You know, um, for the for the longest time, like I said, like I said, when I was growing up, there was no, nothing to do in downtown Muskegon. We had one big summer festival, which would you would go down there for that festival, Muskegon Summer Celebration, and then beyond that, there was there was nothing to do in downtown Muskegon, and. Um, and it, it does really tie back into the brewing industry. And, and part of the reason that I have always had the, the beer industry so near and dear to my heart is because I saw what um, places like Pigeon Hill and Unruly opening up did to the culture of downtown Muskegon and kind of offered a, a place um, or sort of like an anchor for downtown for other businesses to come in and fill in the gaps around them, you know. Right. And that's still happening to this day. And they, both of those spaces have been open for, I think, almost 10 years now, maybe six to 10 years or something like that. But um, that sounds right. But I really I really see the kind of acceleration of the growth of downtown Muskegon started happening <clears throat> after Pigeon Hill and Unruly, they both opened around the same time.
0: Yeah. And uh,
1: I just think that the, the beer community or, or having those breweries as meeting places really helped as anchors to kind of uh, bring more development downtown and make it a safe place to develop and invest in. You know, Absolutely. 18th Amendment is there, Pigeon Hill is there, Unruly is there, the
0: Rake, the Rake Project is down there. I don't want to skip over sort of the impact that you guys have uh, or had. How is the, the community in very general terms without, you know, airing your dirty laundry, if you have any, I'm sure. Yeah, heard. no,
1: I'm the, the, there's a lot of alcohol makers in downtown Muskegon and even in Muskegon as a whole. You know, we've got um, all the places you mentioned. And there's the, two other distilleries that opened just a couple of years ago, Berlin and Spring and Wonderland. Which are both doing awesome things in their own right. You know, Bruen is doing really, really high-end uh, rums, whereas Wonderland is, is attempting to focus on uh, whiskeys, which is a longer-term, you know, project. But um, they, you know, but but for a new for a new startup, they've done an absolutely amazing job of uh, of representing who they are and where they want to be. You know, as they continue to progress as a company. But, anyways, um, at the end of the day. Pretty much anybody that's involved with any of these maker companies in Muskegon, there's kind of a network of people and we all kind of help each other out, you know, and it really starts with some of the more established guys. You know, I know when I first opened, I I really looked to Pigeon Hill uh, and the guys who own Pigeon Hill and the guys who work there is uh, a huge resource and um, and they've never hesitated to help in any way just like you know pretty much any any other brewer that i've asked for help but even more special being from our own hometown you know and opening in the same market very small market with them it wouldn't be out of out of reason to to think that they wouldn't want to really help their competitor you know yeah no Um, for sure but yeah and in particular for me pigeon hill has always been some of the i even if i don't speak to them a lot or anything like that i always know that if there's something that I might need to lean on them for, they'll always, you know, be able to have my back on it, you know, and um, and so that's been huge. And then there's other people like the Berlin Sprig, uh, the guy who owns Berlin Sprig was very instrumental in us securing our new location that we're moving to um, this spring. Uh, and that was because he just wanted another like-minded business to be uh, kind of in the same corner as him and, and and that kind of stuff. And so a lot of it is, like you said, it's it's small businesses trying to kind of, uh rub together create enough friction to kind of make something bigger happen than than the sum of us you know and so um it's a long process and it's and it's turned out to not be as easy as i thought it would be you know but um but there's a huge network of support here and then in the industry uh as a whole you know And, and that's always been something that i've always felt comfortable leaning back on you know and has been a huge help for myself well, and that kind of—I mean, that 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 takes community, that breeds
0: community. It's like a beautiful circle when that kind of thing happens, right? I mean, it just yeah. takes that kind of critical mass of people who are willing to work together, um, even loosely, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, and then and then that just grows bigger and bigger as more people come in, and if you can keep a kind of standard of uh, uh, even an un- unspoken standard of kind of cooperation and all that sort of stuff, I mean, that's. That's about as beautiful as business gets i think i mean it doesn't 100%. really get prettier than that you
1: know yeah and, and especially in a town like muskegon where we're, we're trying to grow like you said a critical mass um the more kind of density of businesses we have in our downtown space the more it is appealing for tourists coming here you know or, yes. or whatever that might be and um, i think that everybody's kind of in on that and let's and say like let's Let's do what we can to make this a more dense space, so that there's more options for anybody who wants to be here. Because uh, you know, it's not a zero sum game, and people are going to nope. jump around, especially if they're coming here in the summer. You know, to see a lot of our natural, um, our beautiful natural environment here. You know, and um, and so yeah, it's it's just been a it's been a huge part of Rake as we've as we've kind of come into existence and. Um, and I hope to someday, like you are, you know, be be one of those people that I can, you know, offer my, uh, I don't want to say expertise, but offer my experience to, to younger people that want to, you know, come in and do the same thing that I did, you know. So
0: yeah, well, it's exciting, and I, I don't know what kind of sociopath wouldn't want to do that, honestly. Yeah. You know what for I mean? sure. <laughs> like if you if you get a, a young person that's uh, that's that's interesting, you know what I mean, and motivated and worried about the right things. And I mean, if you'd been an asshole, you know, when you said, hey man, I'm leaving to start Rake Beer Project, I'd been like, okay, tomorrow's your last day, go fuck yourself. <laughs> for I mean, sure, yeah. But you're not. But you're not. And I was really excited to see what you did. And so um, you, I think you were, God, you might've been on your honeymoon or something, but last year, um, around the beginning of April, uh, Camilla like booked an Airbnb in Muskegon. It was like a little two day weekend, which we usually don't get. Yeah. Um, that we were gonna go out to Muskegon, and you know, like a Turk uh, who you know was <laughs> born and raised in Michigan, but didn't stay. Much, he spent much time in Muskegon. I was like, "Oh, sweet, where are we going? This is for my birthday." Yep. And she's like, "Oh, I got, I got an Airbnb in Muskegon," and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do while we here? Right. <laughs> um, but of course, it was really well thought out and planned and, and, and it was close enough. I mean, I think it was within a mile. Um, so it was walkable to, to your place and a couple other places. Um, and I got the chance to sit down and drink some of your beer. And I liked it all, and I told you that I did. Uh, and uh, and I also thought that the pub itself was cool, and um, it doesn't surprise me or anybody else who knows you that the people working there were cool and, and, and seemed to understand what the mission was. Um, I think bartenders were labeling cans uh, when we were there, you
1: know. That's <laughs> for sure. Right? Like, that's yeah. not... That's, yeah, nobody has anyone. Uh, nobody has any one job title for us. You know? Yeah, All crew, and so everybody does a little bit of everything. Which, at, in the long run, uh, I, I think that's the better way to go because then they know a little bit about everything, and right. they can have some more um, something more to offer our customers than somebody right. only bartends or you know that type of thing. And so, well,
0: and, and you came on at Old Nation when we we're growing really fast. So it was sure. awesome. It was awesome to have somebody who. You know we could just plug you in somewhere um really wherever um and, and you, you kind of ended up on the brew house um meaning that you could have gone to the cellar you were you're equally capable um and uh you know since then we have had the opportunity with a kind of moderated growth it's just a nice pleasant comfortable amount of growth over the last three or four years That we can just bring people up the way that you should do it from the back end of the bottling line all the way up through the cellar and and into the brew house potentially that's beautiful it is beautiful um because it increases that cross-departmental empathy (laughs) you know what i mean well that's (laughs) different i don't
1: know i don't know if my experience was um it's probably anecdotal but but my experience was that when, when i was trying to come up to the industry i had to kind of jump around to be able to move into the job that i wanted and um, a lot of the companies i shouldn't say that uh, some of the companies i worked for didn't necessarily uh it, di- it didn't benefit them to move people up because then they would just have a hole in a different department you know and um and so when i was coming up it was it was I had to move to a different brewery to get to the job that I wanted, you know, Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It ended up allowing me to move back to West Michigan, which I really was happy about. And then when I worked for you guys, you know, um, it was it was my favorite job, but I was still able to live in West Michigan and drive and drive there, you know, Dude. which was, which was a whole different story. But it shows how much I really really enjoyed that job and yeah, you know how how well you guys treated me as an employee and I it's something I talk about all the time and try to emulate in my own business, you know. And that good. Is, so yeah,
0: well, good. And you, because of that time as it is now, I I mean, my my touch on brewing is. <laughs> I don't do much of it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm doing business shit all the time. So you were really close to, to Nate, you know, in um, yeah. sales and whatever. But you were really close to Nate, who is one of my favorite people and right. certainly one of my favorite brewers um, and as good a brewer as I know, which is a huge luxury for me, right? For um, sure to have somebody like that around who's not only a good brewer and a good teacher and a decent communicator, but also a good leader, um, and can model, yeah. And can model good behavior and all that stuff. So,
1: well, I can, I you but I, I can just remember, I, I remember my first couple of days working there just being like, wow, this is so cool that the head brewer is, is here scrubbing the floors with me and, and doing all the little shit, or little stuff that, um, Sometimes when you, if you're the head brewer, you don't normally need to do that type of stuff, and and right. I just remember thinking, wow, this is really cool because, um, New Holland, for instance, I I didn't really have access to the head brewer even though I was on the brew deck twenty you know twenty four seven, and and so it was so nice to have that and uh, and to work with people who were brewers first and not and not necessarily business people, you know? Yeah, and, and yeah. so this working for you guys really opened my eyes to what. To the opposite side of what a production brewery could be you know and, and and a production brewery with the touch of a of a brewer you know and that kind of stuff, and so forth.
0: yeah I mean I think when you have a brewer in the cockpit, it makes a big difference right hundred percent yeah and it 's frustrating uh, and, and John Cole, who is you know producing this podcast and doing a lot of uh, a lot of work for Old Nation right now in sales and marketing, um, you know can attest to this it 's very frustrating for salespeople when you have a brewer focused brewery right <laughs> for sure yeah.
1: <laughs> I I would imagine, yeah
0: <laughs> but that's why i do that job too right um because it wouldn't do for me to not understand the kind of pressure that i'm putting on one side of the company because i'm allowing the other side of the company to i'm doing what i think is allowing the other side of the company to do the right thing for the beer right for sure Um, And if there's that representation on the production side of the company, then on the sales side of the company, there just has to be, right? Um, I know you want to make promises on amounts, and I know you want to do this and and that, but I'm not going to back engineer production to sales um, as long as I can, right? (laughs) And that that day is kind of coming soon, I think, where uh, things have to change. But anyway when uh you know when you were here uh you you talked a lot about and i've heard you talk about uh in other contexts working at Jolly Pumpkin and so as i understand it you started uh, at the gallery which is in portland michigan yep
1: West it was no, no longer uh, no longer around unfortunately but
0: Bummer. Yep. those guys came in here when we were opening up and i, I don't remember yep. why but they chatted and they seemed cool
1: um yep. So you worked there, and you were just kind of tenant bar, keeping shop, or exactly, yeah, and then just uh, just kind of fell into. As small businesses are, they needed somebody to help cleaning some of the tanks, you know, and yeah, and, and at that point, I had I had never I never homebrewed before I even got into the beer industry, you know. So I kind of backed into it. Whereas a lot of people, you know, it was a it was a huge passion before they get into it. I was really interested in beer and drinking beer, you know. But uh, yes. But yeah, and and so like any small business, um, they just needed someone to help cleaning the kegs and and or cleaning tanks and that kind of stuff. And uh, over time, I was able to just kind of learn the the minimal amount of brewing and stuff like that, you know. And uh, and 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 that was what really kicked off my brewing career. I dropped out of college because I loved it so much. And uh, luckily, my now wife was always understanding of and kind of saw the end goal. But yeah, I got that. I always like, got that vibe. She's like, man, you're dropping out of college to work for this little one-barrel brew <laughs> house or three-barrel <laughs> brew house over here. and what's Yeah, let not so short. 3 sure. barrels. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, but, you know, I I, I just really, I really knew that, that at the time that that industry was so much better for where I wanted to be in the future than the path that I was kind of on at the time, which was going into political science, you know, and um, I'm so glad I didn't pursue science. <laughs> <consideration. laughs> you know, um, because I think there's more longevity in the brewing industry, is you know, but um, for myself, well, you know, and so. I, It one of the things that
0: drew me to you, um, you know, while you were here, was the sense that you, um, I think it's it's unique, um, to to n- not this generation. I think this has been true for every generation, by the way. But I think it's it's unique to meet uh, younger folks who have a sense of responsibility to a- anything really sure. um, a sense of responsibility to to carry a torch in some way um, yeah. that you know something has been passed down to them that they're responsible for keeping the same way to in return pass down and 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 I mean follow me here. I know I'm getting a little uh, out there, but for sure yeah that 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 really is something that when you see it, you're like, oh, thank God, man, right? Here's a kid who, and I mean, you weren't a kid, but you know, um, here's a kid who, you know what I mean? He gets it, right? Like he gets that he has her, she gets it. She gets that she has a responsibility to her community. She gets that she has a responsibility to the centuries old culture that's happening in beer, you know, or, or whatever. Um, and so, I see that in your, in your pub and the way you go about things. And I think something that's interesting for me is the friction that exists between your uh, Nordic- Like beer, that uh, Nordic table beer, and I'm, I'm saying that wrong or right? Nope, that's perfectly, yep, that's it. That was great, right? Awesome. Um, and uh, I think I got that for my first beer and Camilla got like maybe like a blood orange sour or something, um, and they were both really good. And so then we went to your cooler to figure out what we were going to buy to kind of take and give out and and whatever. And, uh, there was a lot of stuff there. Um, and my question is this, not is fruited, sour and barrel aged stout and, you know, smoothie seltzer and, and whatever valid, right? I'm assuming for the sake of this conversation that it all is right. How do you internally, when you're thinking about what to make, I know that will it sell or not comes into play, right? For but sure. Out, but outside of will it sell or not, or in combination of will it sell or not, how do you kind of internalize the thought process between a more traditional beer? Okay, funky's like notwithstanding, right? Still, you're going for traditional flavors, yeah. um, and 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 these kind of more, I mean, as we derisively call stunt beers. What what is that? Uh, what?
1: How do you feel about all that? Well, you know, this is a great question. This is probably the number one thing that um, I have—I don't know if changed my mind on, but I've come to learn the reality of of this entire situation over the last couple of years, and it's been kind of a hard, um, kind of a hard lesson to learn. You know, when I when I opened up. I was trying to brew everything to and this is gonna sound ridiculous, especially to you, but I was trying to be the best on Untapped. That was like my goal. You know, I was trying yeah, to be It doesn't
0: sound ridiculous. That sounds smart for when
1: you're starting yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. And and we did that, you know, and I and I was always really proud of it. But what I saw was that those beers don't necessarily necessarily equate to high sales, you know. I mean right. um and so this this last summer in particular, there was a point in this in the spring, you know, and, and a lot of my um a lot of my perspective is skewed from COVID. You know, m- most of the time that we've been open has been only canned cells. We haven't really had a tap room,
0: Jesus. you know.
1: And and so and so, I, even what I know now, I don't know if this is the actual reality of the situation. It's just what has become apparent to my to me. You know, as we've gone through things. But in the spring, I, I was in my own bar drinking, and I'm like, man, there's nothing that I want to drink here. I, I don't drink a lot of sour beer. I don't drink I don't drink fruity beers. Right. you know, those types of things. And, um, and it, it was kind of a revelation. And I was like, if I am thinking this and I'm the person who owns this place and makes these beers, <laughs> how many people are walking out of my establishment because there's nothing that they recognize or feel comfortable with here, you know? Right. And, um, at that time our, our draft list was probably nine of the 10 beers were sour beer. And the other thing was a kombucha, you know? Right. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. so, um, and so at that point it was like okay I need to really really rethink really who we are, and um, and not necessarily change who we are um, from like a from like a uh, base standpoint, but uh, just figure out how we can do the things that I wanted to do, um, but make them approachable. And so that's when you know two three one, which is the our Nordic table beer that you're talking about. I believe yep. that's been around since the beginning, but. Um, it, this kind of realization has led me to make a lot more of those style of beers, and so right now my favorite beer, and I'm so happy because I've been able to make three whole ten barrel batches of it and sell them all. It's so is wait, our, that's it. Is is our spelt saison, uh, and it's a lightly dry hop spelt saison, and um, and that's my favorite beer, and it's my favorite beer to make, it's my favorite beer to drink. And it offers something that people are not going to be terrified by when they walk in the door and look at our draft menu, you know, just like we also do, um, which, which this could be wordy and and scare people as well. But my other favorite beer to make and brew of my own is, is called grow and it's an Oak aged, uh, lightly dry hop Nordic table beer. And so in any other, in any other brewery, if I had the money to buy the equipment needed, these would be, this would be, um, A fooder lager
0: right but for me this
1: was my way of trying to figure out how i can make that thing that i really liked with the minimal equipment that i that i had myself and um and when we started making those style of beers we saw our tap room was getting fuller and people were staying around for longer um and so that that's been uh, that's been a huge thing but at the same time they're more approachable but i i think that it's still um I think that it still represents who I am as a brewer because you know you look at those beers they're still raw pretty much everything we do is still a raw beer which is a throwback trip to old Nordic brewing techniques.
0: Well okay so you and I both know what that is but can you briefly explain yeah. what raw beer is? <laughs> it just means we
1: don't boil it you know exactly. it's a no boil beer and
0: um, This Nate and I had so much fun making fun of you about this. Yeah
1: I know and it's and but <laughs> it, it's weird and uh and weird. What's that? <laughs> Your face, not behind oh, your face. Oh, for sure, yeah. I best, <laughs> you know? um, but but it's something that you know I kind of stumbled into making as I was sort of researching the type of beers that I wanted to make, and um, and after doing a whole bunch of pilot batches and all this stuff, I realized, wow, I really like this, and it offers it it offers something that's is similar, but it's just slightly different to give people a different perspective on, whoa, this is in any other in any other brewery, this would just be a lager, you know, not to diminish lagers, but. But here it's a Nordic table beer, you know, and it's essentially the same thing, but it's made slightly different and it's made yeah. with uh, more primitive technology, you know, which it is a fancy way of saying that we don't have nice equipment, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: oh. um, I mean, yeah. look, I, I think that, uh, the, you know, you talk about how this is similar to a lager, but, you know, most brewers would make it as a lager if, you know, if they had the equipment and so on. Yep, I think it's absolutely what's necessary. Um, It's my thought that um, the the idea of pushing the boundary with uh, like high IBU, for example, was pushed 15 years ago. Right. I mean, it's been forever. That's not really a thing anymore. Um, I mean, there are still pockets of people that talk about it, but it's just not really a thing. For sure um high abv similarly i mean i get it there are beer gates who trade for high abv stouts and stuff but really that's about the barrel and whatever weird stuff they're putting in the beer yep. which brings it to the kind of the next phase uh which is more recent i think which is um what crazy ass kind or amount of a given thing can you put in the beer maybe to make it taste less like beer <laughs> for sure yeah. right in order to in order to sell uh, to get people to pay attention to you, right? For so, sure. the, and that's what all of this was, right? It was brewers going to the people who are like you were born. You were born in '92, so you don't remember this, but I'm sure you were aware of it. Um, whenever, like you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden and Mudhoney and all those bands were coming out of Seattle in the early '90s, it was like almost a joke. I think it was a, was a joke within a few years, how people were like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And then as soon as these guys get on the radio, which at the time, of course, was the only media to give music to people, um, once these bands got on the radio and started charting, they were like, oh, you know what? Fuck these
1: bands, right? A hundred percent.
0: And I think that happens whenever folks are passionate about something and it's the synergy between people that are really passionate about it and just use whatever it is, whether it's music or beer, uh, and people that are passionate enough about it to actually do it for a living right for sure. um and it's a weird there's a there's a, there's this kind of weird disconnect, and this is sort of what I'm getting at when when we're talking about uh, more traditional at least tasting beer and 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 more kind of stunty beer is you know at some point you have to serve everybody right and so you have to serve this consumer that's really arch and fickle and you know his or her first sort of their first instinct is to figure out what's wrong right i've been around enough breweries that i know when they're trying to you know they're they're trying to get one over on you right for sure yeah that's you know i don't think you're going to please that person right um not not for a, all. right i mean you can't please, can them. please them. no you can yeah. please that guy if you're at a beer festival and you talk to him for 15 minutes and then you're his favorite brewery forever for right sure, yeah. um but you know it's it's the only way to please people like that is to just come out with crazy ass shit, and that can really get out of control if you let it get ahead of you right totally. um and i think we've seen that a lot in michigan right like a lot, That's lot. True. um so i do think it's important to do what it is that you're doing and make these kind of um these kind of more traditional tasting beers and even if I appreciate you being humble and honest and saying it's because you don't have equipment, and I know that that's true, but I also know that you could go out and get equipment if you wanted to. I have equipment that you for can sure. borrow. As everybody else. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think that um, I think that it's interesting that you know you you're you. I'm not saying you drew a line in the stand, but you're on your own two feet, and you're saying this is what it is, right? Yeah. And the m- sort of monologues that you're having with yourself uh, are about. Am I doing the right thing by myself for this brewer and the people that I support with it? And the community, right? Yeah. Um, and I I think that brewing is kind of tending toward that now. And I, I I don't know, man. I think that it's more about a brewer. It's going to be at least soon more about a brewer that you can trust um, in terms of what they make uh, and in terms of how they treat their their people generally. Sure. and. And that includes the community that they live in. Um, so we sell, you know, we sell beer in 20 states now in Europe. So our community is broader than Williamston, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> but Williamston is the people are the people that we can touch, right? Williamson are the people we can help load groceries into their car if you know they look tired or For you sure. know we can work with weekend survival kits and and, and all that kind of stuff. So. I don't know, man. It's a, it's, it's becoming a lot more dicey, right? If you're a production brewery who's trying to sell beer on the market in chains, it's weird,
1: right? Um, Yeah. And and I don't know if you know, but we, we dipped into some, compared to what you're doing, very, very small distribution um, this last year. Good. But but for us, it was a lot of beer that we were distributing. And, and you know, I think that we talked a lot. I never wanted to distribute my beer, but, um, but the, the, the reality of our tap room over the summer meant that we had to find another way to move beer, you know, and, and you did, and we did. And it, and it, and it was a huge um, it was a huge way for us to kind of keep moving forward. And um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not always constantly trying to figure out a way to get out of distributing for myself, because um, it sucks. Because it, for, it sucks. Yeah. It's because <laughs> what, what happens is I'm, is I'm passing um, something that I care about off to somebody else who who the distributor we work with is is great and I know that they care about our products, M4, um, but I don't know what's happening to it. I don't know how long it's sitting on different shelves and that kind of stuff. And and, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm always constantly trying to find a way that we can be solely relying upon our tap room um, would be my goal, you know, because then, like you said, it allows us to be more present in our community, our direct community. And, and, and again, it goes back to I try to emulate the people I worked for and I know to give Camilla a shout out. Yes. Seeing the stuff that she did when I was working there, just even small stuff like how she would do nice things for the employees to everything yep. she would do with the community yep. has been something that I've always said would be great. But the thing is you have to be making money in order to give back, you know, otherwise you're just, you know. And so and so. there's been points when we've been able to do that. You know, we did, um, we handed out meals with a food truck on Christmas Christmas Eve one time and stuff like that. But what I found is that the way for me to be the best community member I can be is to focus on on what is right in front of me here, you know, and, and that, you know.
0: That was my thought always too, right? Yeah. Um, that if, if I give of my time, it has to be to build the company in order to give the money, which is what the community actually needs. And once we got, to, not actually needed, it is another thing that the community needs. For sure. Um, and while we were doing that, uh, you know, Camilla was also running the pub and giving it her time um, generously. And uh, that's hard, man. Like, that's that's another – because it's a responsibility that a lot of people don't take on and you don't have to, right?
1: And, and it can be not very – fun. you can be yeah. giving back, but also – not be having the best interactions at the same time, you know. Well, and it
0: so yeah, yeah, it happens all the time. I mean, we 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 give to you know we we give primarily, as you know, to and work primarily with uh, companies that support children in one way or another, <laughs> right. right? So um, weekend survival kits and is our favorite, but all yep. that's um, because we feel like I mean, who can who can argue with that, right? I mean, it's more sure. of a, you know, it's, it's what we want to be doing, right? It's, feeding the kid is it's tough to make bad press out of that sure. um uh, but it is also the closest and most well-run um charity here in town for us but in any event um even having done that and even having said well this is pretty vanilla i don't think anybody can get angry about that that's not true they absolutely do right <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. right and there's a certain kind of person who you and i both know growing up in you know rust belt midwest communities um, who is, you know, who does believe that uh, the world and their community is a zero-sum game. For sure. Uh, and if they're not winning everything, and if someone else is not losing at the same time, then they are somehow losing. For sure. Um, you know, why don't you give me your money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? You're yeah, not a pleasant. kid. <laughs> right? Uh, but anyway, I, I, think, I think there are a lot of interesting paths to go down with community work and charity, and a lot to go down with breweries, too, um, but in terms of I, I kind of want to get back to the idea of, of how you came up uh, in brewing and, and, uh, and parallels to some of my favorite brewers and myself uh, that I saw and see now in the way that you're working, which is, um, you said you know you had to hop around to get the spot that you wanted, right? For sure. So obviously that is, you know, millennia old, and they call that being a journeyman, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what that is. Um, right? I mean, we don't have a system for it here in the U.S. I think, that was, my,
1: I think that was my title, right, when I got hired. With yeah, you. it was. Journeyman Brewer, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, you were a journeyman Brewer. We, yeah. I mean, essentially what that means is we'll pay you what we said we pay you. We're, we're going to put you wherever you fit, right? For sure, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, So I think... Um, you know, that's something that I've found, um, you know, in the last 15 years has been not by everybody, right, but that's been abandoned. It's not really part of the brewer culture anymore, right? Sure. Um, yeah. And I've said a lot that, you know, like, the difference between lager and 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 crazy ales is the difference between classical music and, or jazz and, and punk. Um, and I think that's true, right? Because I think there's a certain set of rules that you need to really learn and work within in order to make those traditional beers accurately that don't exist for those ales. It's not that one is better than the other. For but sure. But that, that idea of punk is the idea that, you know, you pick up a guitar and then you can change the world with it, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And, yep. I, you know, that kind of pervaded into the brewing community in the last 20 years or so, slowly, and then more quickly in the last 10 I don't think it's true, <laughs> you know what I mean. I think that you have to work under somebody who is better than you for a while. Yep, yeah, I totally. You know,
1: well,
0: and you know, go ahead.
1: Yeah, and, and as you know, like I, when I got into the beer industry, my my goal right from when I first started working at the gallery was I want to do this by myself one day. Yep. And so my my perspective was always, how can I work under the person that's going to help me accomplish that goal? Yep the in the best way possible you know and so even when i got hired at jolly pumpkin i don't think i i don't think i fully um understood kind of the magnitude of what jolly pumpkin was to the original american brewing scene you know but but as i as i worked there that's you know that's where just the culture there and the people that worked there cared so much about jolly pumpkin beer in in particular the craft beer scene as a whole, and then upholding what you know was kind of started there, and and kind of bringing that into the future, you know, and um, and that that's where I really I went from being like a casual beer fan that wanted to open a brewery to like wow, I really I'm really really interested in um, how we got here, you know, like right. you know, and and why and and is this going to be the thing that is this is a style that's a historic style let's talk about barrel aged wild beer yeah is this going to be something that's going to exist in the future or you know where where does this fit in and um and i, I just really attribute my time at jolly pumpkin to me in, if you want to call it like a hipster personality like i was just like i want to do whatever is the coolest thing and the most kind of deep cut i guess would be the thing you yeah. know and like um, and and so, and it was such a great experience there because the other people working there with me cared about it so much. I mean, like, you know, the, and, and it was pervasive. If we weren't at work, we were at each other's houses bottle sharing and stuff like that, you know? And um, and part of that was because I lived by myself at the time and, you know, didn't really have anything yeah. else to do, you know? Yeah, right. But, but, yeah, and I, and I think that... Um, well, I mean,
0: however the stars align, right? Yeah. um you get to you get to work for a guy in Ron Jeffries who is i think it's one of those yin yang things right maybe genius is not the right word but a real smart guy right sure. yeah um and 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 really earnest you know what i mean yes
1: yep and um, he was and, he was back to what i said about you know working with yourself and Nate was Ron was brewing every day and he was He was touchable you know like he was someone that um i could personally go and ask questions to, and um and he was on the floor with us and that kind of stuff and then working for him and then realizing wow this guy is kind of one of those um kind of pillars of american craft beer in his own way was really was really a cool experience because i was able to just walk up to him and ask him a question about something i had you know whereas other people would have to listen to a podcast or whatever it might be and Um, and so, yeah, working for Ron was, was really one of the the first experiences for me where I saw kind of what I wanted to do in the future, which was what he was doing, which was, he, he had his 10 barrel system, which is what he brewed everything on. And he would typically brew, um, I think he would typically brew Rojas and the more special jolly beers, you know, and, um, and I just saw, man, that's so cool. This guy, he's had this company for so long, he still enjoys it so much that, he's in here with us you know when he could easily be in hawaii or whatever else he's doing and man that was just something that was really really as a young kid coming into an industry and wanting to like you said sort of pay respect to the past that was just man it just set me up for kind of success moving forward in that you know right well and somebody who's a role model for me
0: too ron yeah i mean ron had been around when i came into the industry 20 years ago man for Um, sure and I don't know for how long, but to me, it seemed like he'd just been here forever, right? Everybody yeah. knew Ron, right? Yeah. Um, he was a he was a crusader, right? I mean, he for sure. was one of the very few brewers. In any given snapshot of time, there's always only a couple brewers that are, I think, saying, you know what, fuck that, I'm doing this, and I'm going to for be sure. as successful as I can with it. Um, but there's going to be a point where I have to change what it is that I'm doing, in order to become more successful. And I don't mean change it in terms of make a style that you don't normally make or whatever. I mean, in terms of like saying, okay, well fuck it, I'm going to sell out. Right. For sure. Uh, um, Which is a totally different thing. I think. Yep. but I do uh, think that after that you went how long? You, it doesn't really matter how long you were at Jolly Pumpkin, but you went to
1: New Holland for a while after that, right? Yep. Yeah, I was at New Holland for about a year and a half, two years ish. You know. And, and you were and, doing mostly cellar work. No, I was. I Well, I was doing cellar work, but I was. I was basically running the brew house by myself. Oh shit. Day. Working, yeah. Which okay. was which was again it's not the type of brewing that I ever wanted to do, you know, that type of mm-hmm. brewing is, is really similar to factory work, you know, and, yeah. and, and when I got hired, they made it very clear, you know, don't think you're going to write a recipe here. You know, you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to do anything creative, but you're just going to be here. You're going to clock in, make your hundred barrels of beer a day and then clock out, you know, and, uh, um, yeah,
0: that's great. That's a smart idea. Abandon hope all year. <laughs> <for sure. laughs>
1: and, 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 um, I think, just like the the cultures that old nation and jolly reflected the stance of you know the owners in there working enjoying it that type of stuff i think new holland in a way struggled with with um culture a little bit for myself well, because there was nowhere for me to be excited about you know and um and i think that i think that Things have changed from what i understand there now to an, to an extent and so i'm happy to hear that but um Good. but at the end of the day it was it was the best experience i could have had because i got to just i was just you know baptized in fire if you want to say that like Every I, day. my day first day there my first day there i they put me on the 50 barrel brew house and basically said you know, here's how to do it. I'll be up in my office if you if you want to come <laughs> grab me for thing. And I'm just like, whoa, man! This is their their brew house is a is a crazy brew house. Or at least at the time, it was a very convoluted structure. It was all automated, but just manual enough that it made it really, really. Yeah, right. Because you, you had to remember, right? Yeah. What do I have
0: to? Right? I don't have to remember it's everything. It's but, harder. To, it's harder to remember a few. It's harder to remember just a few things than it is to remember everything when you're in a hundred percent.
1: And, um, and it was great. I mean, it was, it was probably the most learning I ever did at any job because right. there's no option not to learn, you know? Right. And, um. And the amount of beer that they were, we were producing at that time there was, was, was a lot of beer and um yeah. And there were schedules. And so I'm so thankful for that time as well, because um, I think it showed me what that, what that part of the industry is like. And it really made me comfortable with, just the idea of brewing beer, you know. I mean, right. I think it can be a brewing beer can be a very, um, kind of scary the first couple times you do it, you know, <laughs> at a production level, you know, and yep. uh, and this just made me so comfortable with it that I was that I was, you know, I was I was I was excited to to go out then and you know and, and learn more and and expand my horizons, you know, and that kind of stuff. I think I think that
0: you can. I think that. Upon meeting a brewer, right that you never met before, you can get a picture for whether or not they've had that kind of experience
1: for sure.
0: Right away, right? Uh, Yeah, they're much more humble. There's much more of like a graveyard humor vibe to the
1: way they talk about beer. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's blue collar work, man. That's that's yeah. It's it's a factory job, you know. Yeah, it is. It It is. uh, and it's something I respect, you know, I, I, I wish that there was a union to re- represent the blue-collar work that's being done, but- uh, I, 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 I do, there will
0: be, I, you know? I mean, as a business owner, it's stupid of me to say this, but I do too, uh, because yeah, sure. you, you know that, you know, for, for me, that, I mean, this is about making beer and making money and all the kind of things you're supposed to do when you own a brewery, but it's also selfishly benefits me, and I think benefits the community to make sure that anybody who comes here, works, and leaves here represents a certain philosophy, if not a certain way of executing that philosophy. Does that make
1: sense? 100%.
0: Yeah. And I don't get out and talk about it much. Um, I mean, I have the opportunity to, and I just don't, because I think there's so much flux in the brewing industry right now. I mean, a guild meeting, for example, you'd expect that, and they've asked me to do this, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do that in front of all those guys that have, you know, three, five, seven barrel breweries. Man, we are not serving the same master, you know.
1: For so, sure. A hundred percent.
0: So I don't know, man. It's it's a, it's a weird time. And I guess having touched that kind of perspective and been a part of it in two different places. And by the way, I'm so happy to hear that you're making a Cezanne because you made one with us. Right. And yes, it was awesome. Um, it was great. Um and it went right up from through the pilot system into production, and I think you were a part of that process throughout the entire
1: thing. Yeah. And and to, and just to give you your credit where it's due, that that process was such a it was such a light bulb going off in my head. Right, it's not because, that hard. Well, well, because and that's what you kept saying to me because I I remember coming to you with the recipe and you're like, well, what do you think? You know, it's not that it's not that hard. You know, like you know what you're doing, do it. And and that kind of was like, wow, man. If I can do that with these guys, I can I can do it on my own in my little own shop and, and be 100%. you know and um and that I still I still remember come you know working on that recipe and how proud I was when it came out. I've made sort of a variation on that beard. Good. Not the same thing, but we made like a Brett version of kind of the idea of that. Just yeah. because I just because I really it was such a special thing for myself and my career, you know. Yeah. Because Good. that was my first time working for a production brewery where um I was offered the respect and leeway to um be creative, you know right well that's I mean, that was, what I wanted the most you know and so right. yeah.
0: and that was two old guys, you know, Nate, and I sitting in the office going, I think rake's gonna get fucking antsy if we don't let him go <laughs> a sure. beer in, you know what i mean um yeah. and and you were ready, obviously, and I mean, shit, we're not trying to come up with all the ideas, man, it's burdensome For um, sure, yeah. You know, so to have somebody that was that on fire, that wanted to do it, um, that would, right? That would just kind of have the guts to go for it. Um, You know, the best thing to do in that situation is to be like, look, man, you're gonna give this a rip. And if you fuck up, it's 10 barrels of beer. It doesn't matter, we'll try it again, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And if you don't, that's what I expect. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, And I mean, that beer, saisons are infamously hard to sell on the market. So it did okay. but what I was most proud about was that it just was a good. It was dry honey saison, right? Is what we ended up. That's it. Yeah, and the honey, and that's all the honey did, which is all honey actually fucking does is
1: <laughs> sure. out the beer. You know, that's the hardest uh, part, though. You put the honey on the label, and people want it to be a sweet, even if you say dry, right on the on the label. And we did not enough <laughs> and, honey. You know, right? yeah. not enough honey. Those are my <laughs> dude we can
0: talk about yeah. that. For oh, for sure. Uh,
1: but,
0: uh, anyway, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, to, you know, not to be too modeling about it, but I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what you're doing. Um, and I think it is awesome. Uh, and I want it to be as successful as possible. And you know, that if there's anything I can do, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to. But I got my own, you know, kids and brewery and all that stuff and I'm not always paying attention so all I'd (laughs) ask is for you to ask instead of wait for me to offer. So uh, describe where in Muskegon you are, where you're moving into in the spring and, you know, anything that you'd like to say to sell the brewery.
1: Yeah, yeah, so uh, our current current tap room right now in uh, winter 2022 is in, it's in the north end of downtown Muskegon uh, tucked around the back of a, of a big building, kind of hidden away. It's kind of like a cool little uh, underground beer club down there, you know. And uh, we have in the summer, we have a huge outdoor space that's beautiful. We do concerts and yoga, all sorts of events out there. And, um, and, and the space has been great. And uh, over the last year or so, we kind of realized it was time to grow out of that space. And uh, and find ourselves in sort of a more centrally lo- lo- centrally located spot in Muskegon, and so um, we were able to find a we were able to find a space right downtown Muskegon, right in kind of the central part of downtown Muskegon, in a brand new building. It's going to be a brand new you know six seven story apartment building, um, and we're actually partnering with another local company, which is Rolling Stone Wood Fired Pizza, which to me some of the best pizza in the state of Michigan. These guys are absolute maniacs about pizza. They are pizza nerds to the furthest the sixth then you know, um, and awesome. so I'm super excited. And so, uh, you know, we'll have, we'll have food. These guys are going to do their regular, you know, wood fired pizza, all that kind of stuff, as well as a full menu. And, um,
0: so I sit down in your bar, your new, your new bar, yeah. I grab a beer and I can get a pizza and I don't my ass doesn't have to leave the stool. Is that the exactly deal? Yeah. yeah.
1: Which has been, you know, to, to be entirely transparent, that's always been our biggest kind of downfall at our current location is is one, it's it's hidden away, you know. Two, we we haven't we don't have the opportunity to have a kitchen in that in that space. And um in a, in a smaller time, especially in the smaller town, especially in the off season, people want food with their beer. And that was kind of what we realized and said, you know, let's, let's go give people what they want. And we had already been collaborating with this pizza company for, well, since we opened and we just have been, we'd be doing uh, pairings with them, but people would have to go get their pizza and then bring it down to our tap room. And so we've worked with these guys for years now. And um, it was just such a natural choice to kind of get them into a brick and mortar first and foremost, you know, kind of establish them in town. And then, uh, allow us to offer food through and, that. And you know. when do
0: you, when do you wish then to open? I'm not going to ask yeah. when <laughs> are you <these> opening? <laughs> you know, it, it's,
1: um, the, the original idea was sometime in March or April, but we're, we're really looking at kind of realistically in May, um, okay. to open the new space. You know, there's, there's obviously, as you know, so many things that go into that, which, which for us means all new licenses and everything. And, uh, uh. and that, and that, and that can take, uh, A lot of unexpected time but we're on we're on track to be on time um the the, like I said the building's brand new so there's a lot of you know the white box isn't even done on it yet so there's a lot of stuff that has to fall into place but um but we're hoping for May because there's a lot of stuff that happens right on right in front of where we'll be at in the in the summer and we really want to be there you know we is to be there for that you know so yeah so it's a it's a super exciting thing kind of nerve-wracking um you know I am, you yeah know, but you I'm do sure. it and
0: then it's done right i mean it's one of For those sure. things you know 100 percent. um and that is you know you, you well. Know, it's 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 rough right some days or weeks when you're like it it's never gonna be fucking may right. it is. <laughs> I, keep I keep getting sure.
1: people asking me people are, what's going what's new absolutely nothing we're just <laughs> waiting on architectural plans we're waiting on the licenses yep. you know and it'll be that way until there's everything has to be done at once, you know, and, right. uh, yep. and in a way it's just like starting a brewery all over again, which is kind of fun. And, and, and for me, kind of. I look at it as kind of rig project sort of growing up in a way and, um, and kind of leaving the space, you know, we, we were strapped for cash. When we opened, we were, we didn't have any other options than our little basement dwellers dwelling spot that we're in now. And, um, and this is kind of us saying, you know, this is, uh, we've kind of had a couple of years to stumble and figure out who we are, and we're gonna take all of that we learned into this new space with, with our beer, with, um, with our, our culture and our approach to customer service, all that kind of stuff, you know. Well, everybody loves the winter, man.
0: And uh, it's good to see that you're growing and, uh, and coming up. And uh, like I said, I'll say it again, I'm, I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing. And I'm thankful uh, that you stayed in Michigan and you kept this ethic in Michigan um and uh and i i I have a sense that if this is going to work for anybody it'll work for you um for for whatever that's worth to you and uh also in terms of um you know in terms of resources man whatever attorneys equipment you know whatever it's at your disposal if you need some help you get in a pinch you get in, you know if there's a bind or whatever just let me know and uh we'll jump in no problem
1: awesome well thank you so much travis can't tell you how man. Yeah.
0: I will, uh, I'll, i look forward to talking to you soon and I will keep my eyes open for the opening. Now that I know that Muskegon is cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will be there, uh, you know, as soon as I can when y'all, uh, when y'all pop the doors open. So I'm excited for you and uh, looking forward to seeing what's next for
1: you, man. Awesome. Well, thanks again for having me on, man. Great to chat with you. We got to do it more often.
0: Yeah, I would love to, man. We'll talk to you as soon as we can.
1: All right, that sounds great, man. Peace.
0: All right, later, dude. To get different perspectives on work, on philosophy toward work, and on the brewing industry specifically. But right. right. for me, this
1: was my way of trying to figure out how I could make that thing that I really like with the minimal equipment that I, that I had myself. Yeah, you would you would keep making the same thing over and over and over, and just little incremental changes here and there until you finally got it dialed into exactly how you wanted it and locked it.
0: Your first job as a brewer is to not give anyone a hangover they didn't earn.